Maybe this morning you're here and you're like me, you didn't grow up in church. Maybe this morning you're here and you're new to church. Maybe this morning you're here and, and there are times when we do the things we do and, 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 and you see people around you singing things and you wonder, well, it's a good song, it sounds good, but what does it mean? Well, why are we singing Hosanna? What a strange word. And how come no one ever took five minutes to explain that to me? Hosanna is a Hebrew expression. It's found, it comes from Psalm 118.25. And in Psalm 118.25, uh, the, the Hebrew people use that word to cry out to God, Help me, save me. Because in the Old Testament... They're looking forward to this one who will come and help them and save them. But the great thing about that word is that as that word moved through the Old Testament and as it came into the New Testament and began to be used in the Greek language, it became to mean something totally different. And five times it's found in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the word Hosanna is, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. You see, there was a huge transition between the original meaning of Hosanna and the ultimate meaning of Hosanna. And so when we sing that song, when we sing Hosanna, we are singing, God, thank you for rescuing us and saving us. Thank you for coming to our rescue in our greatest moment of need. But the reason we sing it this morning is because that's what people were shouting as Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And these people who were waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, as they were shouting this, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, knowing what was ahead for Him, knowing that He was going to die the most brutal death, and knowing that most of the people who were shouting Hosanna in that moment, in just a few days, like Brother Donnie said, changed their shout to crucify Him. What an astonishing thought. And do you know what was at the center of all of that confusion? was that most of the people there that day waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna had wrong expectations. They thought Jesus had showed up to do something He never intended to do. You see, they thought Jesus was on the scene, had been sent from God to rescue them politically, to rescue them financially, to, to fix all of their problems, to make their life easy, to get rid of the oppression. But when that crowd found out that that's not at all why Jesus came, when that crowd found out that Jesus came to rescue them from their sin. Most of them weren't interested. See, they wanted their problems fixed today. And in the providence of God, in a way only God could work it out. We come to a passage of Scripture today in Luke chapter 7, exactly where we belong, that perfectly gives illustration to what happens when our expectations are wrong. When we think Jesus is one thing, but in reality He's something utterly 
and completely different. Look with me in Luke chapter 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can find a Bible in the pew in front of you. Just open to page 1189. You'll find right where we are, page 1189, Luke chapter 7. This morning, I want to talk with you about the ultimate question. The ultimate question. And under the ultimate question, you're going to find the power of expectation. Let's begin reading Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Then the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, reported to him concerning all these things. What things? All the things we've been talking about in the weeks prior. Leading up to this, and John calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one, or do we need to look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed... Jesus began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. He said, what, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in the king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. This is He whom it is written, Behold, I send My messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of a woman, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard Him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, look, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Pray with me. Father, we just thank You for this Word. God, I pray right now that You will help me, Lord. Help me through Your Holy Spirit to make this Word come alive. Father, I know there is truth of paramount importance for every single life in this room. So God, will you prepare us to hear from you? In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get to the ultimate question, let, let's just, let me ask you a few questions, okay? I, I want you to see what God has for us here this morning. I want you to begin to wrestle with the tension. Are you sure about Jesus. I mean, are you a hundred percent positive that you can base your entire life and existence upon Him? 
Now here's what I know. I know that in the comfort of this place, and if life is good and glorious for you this morning, it's just so easy for us to roll into church and just say, well, yes, pastor. Oh, I mean, I'll base my life on Jesus. I mean, I believe in Him with everything that I am. But here's my question. Has life ever been so difficult? Has it ever been so hard? Has things happened to you that are so unexplainable and so terrible that it would cause you to begin to wonder? Wonder, God, I'm just not sure. I just... I just don't know. You know, this week I sat with a family whose daughter had just been murdered, who has two small children. I sat with a mom and a dad who had just lost their daughter. Twelve hours earlier, they sat right here and listened to me preach about a lady who was burying her child. They listened to me talk about the compassion of God for someone who would lose their child. And then at six o'clock Monday morning, they get a phone call and their daughter has been murdered. I sat with a young couple whose five-month-old son is having emergency heart surgery. Listen, there is tension in that moment. There's tension when you sit in a room with some sisters who have just lost their father. There is tension in that room that begins to make you wonder and question and think about things that in a good day, on a sunny day, when you're out at the beach with your kids flying a kite, you won't think about these things. But see, that's not how life always works. John the Baptist The man whom Jesus is drawing our attention here to has given his life to serve God. He has abandoned everything and given it all up for the glory and the kingdom of God. All his life exists to do is to draw attention to Jesus as the Savior of the world. But you know where we find him this day? we find Him in the infamous Materius dungeon. King Herod's dungeon that's out by the Dead Sea. It is in the most remote, horrific area where where those that that King Herod would send out there and he he would have them chained to a wall and he would leave them there until he was ready to execute them or torture them. And there's John the Baptist chained to a wall He's struggling. He's suffering. He's beginning to wonder, God, what's happening? Why is it that everything seems to be going wrong? How is it that one minute everything could seem so right? And then I could wake up and everything, and I mean everything seems wrong. Do you know that feeling? Because if you don't, you will. What you need to know this morning is that I love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you it's going to be easy. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you and tell you that Jesus is going to solve all your problems. That you're not going to sit in hospital rooms. You're not going to gather around and pray over ICU beds with machines pumping all sorts of chemicals into the person you love. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that's not going to happen. 
I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is, is that there's a good chance you'll wake up one day and you'll be chained to some wall in some dungeon. And it's going to be dark. And it's going to be hard. You see, there are circumstances and environments that come into our lives that begin to pit doubt against faith. And I know this is hard to hear, but that's just how God designed it. That's what I want you to see this morning. Because in my reality, you know what I see? I see, I see young people that, that grow up and, and they, they love the Lord. Man, they go to youth camp and they, they do all the things and they participate in all the stuff. And then every once in a while, I'll see one of those young people go off to college. And they just forget all about God. You see, they get on a college campus and suddenly people are drinking and having sex and all these things are going on. And suddenly Jesus just doesn't really fit in that environment. Suddenly it just doesn't seem to work there. And suddenly everything that was once so important to them is just kind of fading away. I see families... I see families that come to church. Man, they dress up, they sing the songs, they do all the things. And then one day they get a boat. And at first it's just going out on the boat on Saturdays. But then they start going out on the boat and spending the night. Or they get a camper and suddenly they're camping all the time. And they're gone one week a month, then two weeks a month. And then pretty soon we don't see them anymore. And suddenly it's, it's, not, always a, it's not always an obvious dungeon. See, sometimes the dungeon looks like paradise. Sometimes the dungeon looks like a, a beach chair and a cold drink. But it's a dungeon because it's slowly making what was once so important to you, what you were once so sure of, begins to fade away. And you begin to ask, oh, I don't even know why I used to do the things I used to do. You see, that's true of you and that's true of me. You see, there's, there's times when maybe some of you would fit in the category where you, you've been praying for something for an awful long time. There's somebody you love who's sick. And they're not getting better. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And God doesn't answer. And because God doesn't answer, you begin to wonder, Well, God, are you real? Do you hear me? Well, life's just not working out the way I thought it was going to work. Sometimes the phone rings and there's a voice on the other end of the line and they say the words you have dreaded to hear. And you hang up the phone and all you heard was cancer. Is God real in that moment? Is He real? Is He as real in that moment as He is in this moment? That's where John the Baptist is. See, in these moments we begin to struggle. And when we begin to struggle, we begin to question And if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. It's in the moment of struggling and questioning. It matters everything. What question you ask. That matters. Because it's not just any question. It's the question. Let's look at it. Let's look at the question. Verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all the things. 
And John, calling two of his disciples to him, now, understand, he's chained to a wall in a dungeon and he's talking to his disciples either through, they're either looking down through some bars, talking back and forth, or they're passing notes somehow and they're conversing back and forth. And so John is telling them, listen, you go to Jesus and you ask him, are you the one or do we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said exactly as they were told, John the Baptist has sent us saying, are you the one? coming one or do we look for another now i just want to spend a few moments and look at this question that that john poses there's really two parts to this let's look at the first part are you the coming one i mean here is the most amazing unbelievable question that a person can ask are you the coming one see here's what john doesn't ask and here's what me and you always ask john doesn't say Will you fix my problem? John says, are you the one? You see, we want to know, God, are you going to fix my problem? God, are you going to heal my kid? God, are you going to work through my circumstances? God, are you going to rescue me from this peril and this problem? But that's not what John says. He wants to know, are you the one? Because listen, if he's the one, then nothing else matters. You see, if he is the one, then who cares what dungeon you're in? Who cares what struggle you're facing? In other words, if he's the one, everything else, bad as it may be, horrific as it may seem, dark as you may feel, if he's the one, that is preeminent over all other information that could be known by mankind. And so John wants to know, first of all, are you the one? See, I wonder... I wonder how many of us in this room this morning are separated from God because we're asking the wrong question. See, I wonder if there's someone here this morning and and you're not a Christian. Maybe people think you're a Christian, but you're not a Christian because you're angry at God. Because your question has been for years, God, why did you take my loved one? God, why did you do that to me when I was a child? And you've harbored this bitterness inside of you. And for years you've repeated, why, God, why, God, why? And God's never answered that. And here's why. Because you're asking the wrong question. I mean, you can't seem to get over it. And John is teaching us that's the wrong question. You need to ask God, are you the one? Are you the one? It's not about why do I suffer? It's not about why do I feel this way? Oh, we learned last week God cares about that and God has a purpose in that and a plan in that and God's compassion is 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 all we need in that and all that is true. But the question is, are you the one? That's the question. Let's look at the second part. Do we look for another? I mean, I just love this. I love this question. I've thought about this for weeks waiting to tell you about this today. Or should we look for another? You know what he doesn't say? You know what we say? He doesn't say, should I just quit looking? We say, God, are you going to answer my question or should I just give up? That's what we say. John says, are you the one or should I keep looking? You know why? Because John understands that we're all searching and that we're all going to keep searching and that we're always going to be searching. 
See, John understands what the Bible's trying to teach you and me this morning is that we want to know if he's the one. And if he's not the one, what the Bible knows, what God knows, what you know and what I know is that we're just going to replace it with some other one. You see, if he's not the one, then we're going to go out and replace it with our job. We're going to replace it with materialism. We're going to replace it with our spouse. We're going to replace it with our family. We're going to replace it with drugs and alcohol. We're going to replace it with something. You see, there are thousands upon thousands of people in Gulfport this morning that are not in church. And every one of them, please understand, is worshiping something. There's no one out there. You have not invited one person to church who doesn't have a one. They've all got a one. Every one of your neighbors and every one of your co-workers, they all have a one. They're all worshiping something. Because in us is a longing to find the answer to our questions, to find comfort, to find peace, to find wholeness, to find belonging. And if we think Jesus isn't the one, we're going to fill our hearts with something else to try to figure out what it is. And so that's why John doesn't say, should we quit? Because he knows that if the answer is, no, I'm not the one, John understands, then I must, what? Keep looking. Because I can't stop till I find the one. What a remarkable question. But you see, if we reject Jesus Christ, we spend the rest of our lives Clamoring, grasping at air for the want. How many of us could just give testimony all day long about people we love whose lives have been ripped to shreds because they're trying to find the one in something that's not? But notice the answer. I mean, it's the ultimate question, but look at this answer. Verse 21, and at that very hour, Jesus, he, he cured many infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said unto them, go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me, Jesus says. You know what Jesus doesn't say? Because Jesus loves to say this, but He didn't say this here. Four times in the book of Matthew, the disciples would, would come to Him. Uh, there's Peter. J- Jesus is walking on the water. Peter gets out of the boat. Remember that? Takes a couple steps, starts sinking. What does Jesus say to him? Oh, ye of little faith. He scolds him. There, the disciples are sleeping in the boat. Storm comes up and the boat's rocking and rolling. And they're thinking they're going to drown. And they wake up Jesus. Jesus, wake up. He wakes up. Oh, ye of little faith, what are you waking me up for? Don't you know who I am? The disciples get hungry, which is kind of ridiculous considering the fact that Jesus just fed 5,000 people with a sandwich. They get hungry and they're worried. Well, what are we going to eat? And he looks at them and says, Oh, ye of little faith. But you know what Jesus doesn't say to the quest, the right question? He doesn't say, Oh, ye of little faith. Why? Because this isn't a little faith question. This is a big faith question. This is the right question. This is the question we need to ask. Not, not why is there a storm? Not how come I'm sinking? And not why am I hungry? And are you going to provide for me? Those are all the wrong questions. The right question is, are you the one? Or do I need to keep looking? You see, Jesus immediately begins to rattle off this list 
of miraculous accomplishments in his life. And, and, and you might think to yourself, well, okay. But what Jesus is doing is he's focusing John's attention because John understands the Old Testament and he's focusing John's attention on these messianic prophecies that come out of Isaiah 35.5 and Isaiah 61.1. And, and especially in Isaiah 61 where Jesus begins to, to, to say or the Bible begins to say that the one who comes is going to accomplish these very things that they now are watching Jesus accomplish. And so in a very loving way, Jesus answers beyond a shadow of a doubt to John exactly what John needs to hear. Now, now I want you to just think with me for one second here. I want you to see that there are people at the same time surrounded and connected to Jesus that are having utterly and completely different experiences. Because this is a hang-up that we've got, folks. Let me explain this to you. That in the very moment that this dialogue is going on between Jesus and John's messengers, there are people who have just seen their loved ones for the very first time. In fact, there are people who have just seen sunlight for the very first time. There are men and women and children who are taking their first steps who have been born lame, have never walked, never moved, and they're running around shouting and praising God. There are people who were condemned to death by leprosy and are now clean. They're healed. In other words, there is rejoicing going on around Jesus like you and me cannot imagine. And there's John, chained to a wall in utter misery and agony. All simultaneously, by God's design and in His sovereign providence. So, you know where we stumble on this? Maybe you've come in here this morning and life is hard today. And you're looking around and you're thinking, God, why are all these people so happy? Why do they have it all together? Why is it me? Why am I the one suffering? And I want you to see that the Bible doesn't paint any different picture. There are those who are rejoicing beyond your wildest imagination. And there are those servants of the Lord strapped in a dungeon at the very same time. So here's this man. He's given his life to serve the Lord. And he sits locked away in prison. And you know what he's probably wondering? Because I know what I'm wondering. I'm wondering when I'm in the dungeon, I'm wondering, God, what's the deal here? In other words, you don't have to fix my problem. Just tell me what's going to happen. Just give me the whole story. Just tell me. If you just tell me, Tony, here's the deal. It's going to be terrible for a while, but it's going to end. And after that, it's going to be like Job. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to replace everything a hundredfold. Okay, I'm good. Beat me some more. (laughs) See, if you know what's coming, you can handle today. But again, John doesn't ask that question. He, He doesn't say, well, just tell me the end of the story. That'll get me through the, the storm. Just tell me. 
Let me ask you a question. Where's the justice in all of this? Because you know, you know your heart. I know my heart. We, we sit in that dungeon and we think, well, God, this isn't fair. It's just not fair. Why is everything happening to me? So there's Jesus. His answer is, John, let's talk about Isaiah 61. Because that'll answer your question. Isaiah 61.1, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, the interesting thing is that's where it ends. In other words, that's not where the verse ends. You pay close attention to what the verse says. But that's where the correlation to Luke chapter 7 ends. In other words, Jesus conveniently doesn't quote the last part. He doesn't free the captives. And what do you think John's wanting to hear? As soon as his, his messengers come back, they start quoting Isaiah 61. He knows the verse, so he's waiting. Okay, he's going to do this. He's going to do And he's like... Oh, the end. He's in prison. He's like, you know what the end is? He's going to free the captives. And then they get right up to that part and they stop. Why? Come on, God, you're killing me. Why do you stop there? Why don't you finish the verse? You could just blink your eyes and and the walls would fall down and all the guards would drop dead. You could do anything and I could just be free in an instant. Why don't you do it? Because John, like you and like me, had to believe. He had to believe based on what Jesus had done in his life. He had to believe based on what he had been shown about Jesus and until he could understand until he could see what God was doing in his life and around him, he would never fully comprehend the circumstances or situation he found himself in. But that's why it takes faith. You see, that's why God stops short. Jesus is telling John, he said, don't base your faith on your circumstances. Don't base your faith on what's happening to you. Base your faith on what's happening around you. In other words, you may be in a dungeon. You may have walked in here this morning at your utter lowest point. But let me tell you something. God's wanting to save some people in here this morning. And no matter how low you are, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how horrific your circumstance is, when God touches a life and they go from death to life before your eyes, thank you, Jesus. And even in your storm, you can see God's still working. He's still moving. He's still active. See, you've got to see out of your dungeon what's God doing around me. And here's what I know. I know this because I'm the guy with the job that every time it's at rock bottom, it's my phone that rings. And here's what happens. When I get to you in your rock bottom situation and I just hug you and love you and cry for you and then pray for you and we spend time together. But here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing lives around you being changed. I'm seeing people watch you suffer with strength and honor and dignity and love for the Lord and people are being touched and I see what's happening around you. But sometimes we won't look out of the dungeon. We won't pry ourselves up on the wall and look through the bars and see that we we might be feeling like we're perishing, but God's still working. 
Listen, the gospel's still going forth. Muslims are coming to Christ. Homosexuals are coming to Christ. The prisoners are coming to Christ. The homeless are coming to Christ. And more amazingly than that, the rich, prideful, pompous Americans are still coming to Christ. He's still working. Well, we gotta see. We gotta see there's more than what's just on us. We've gotta look back and see what God's done. We gotta look out and see what God's doing. And we gotta look forward and see what God's promised. We gotta, we gotta make sure that we have 360 degree vision when we're in the dungeon. Thirdly, I want you to see the explanation. Jesus, in giving this remarkable explanation, he addresses this issue of expectations. Look at verse 24. So when the messengers of John had departed, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You see, he's pressing them. When they went out in the wilderness to see John the Baptist, Jesus is saying, what you, you expect to see? Some flimsy little weed blowing in the wind? Is that what you thought? Oh yeah, that's what you thought. I know, because I'm God. That's why he's saying, verse 25, well, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in, in soft garments? Oh, you thought you were going to see this man out there proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. He was going to be dressed in, in luxury, gorgeously apparel, the Bible says. No, that's for the king's courts. You got the wrong expectation. Now, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Oh, you went out to see a prophet? Well, yes, I say to you. But he's way more than a prophet. He's way more than a prophet. Jesus says, this is he of whom it is written. Then he quotes Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus says, this is he whom it is written. Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Then Jesus goes on to say, this man who's in the dungeon, this man who's doubting, this man who's suffering, this man who's struggling, you better listen up, American ears. Hear what I'm saying to you now before you go home and we all have the big buffet and turn up our air conditioner and watch a flat screen TV. The man that's in the dungeon, the one nobody wants to trade places with, the one nobody wants to be, the one we're hoping it never happens to our children, that man, Jesus says, is the greatest man ever born to a woman ever greater than Abraham greater than Moses see Jesus has a different economy than we have see we think oh blessed is the man who's rich and prosperous and doesn't have any problems Jesus says no he said blessed is the one whose faith endures suffering who's chained to a wall yet wants to know am I the one see it's not the way we think this, is, this isn't what you're going to hear on television. I'm promising you that there ain't no name it and claim it preacher ever touching this passage. Amen. Ever. They're jumping right over it. It's going to be leapfrog Sunday when they get to this one. You see, listen. Jesus said this John, he's the greatest. You, you know what I think about it? John never heard those words. See, his messengers had already departed. And if you know the story like I know the story, you know what happened to John. They came and got John off the wall and they ushered him up into the palace. Then they kneeled him down over a chopping block and a guard raised his sword and cut his head right off. Put it on a silver platter. 
and brought it in. John never heard what Jesus said. But listen to me. A nanosecond after that blade hit the skin of his neck, he was in the presence of glory. And just let, let me just get you to kind of get your imagination around something you can't comprehend. Can you imagine when, when angels began to tell John, John, let me tell you what Jesus just said about you. You know, while that blade was coming down on your neck, while your eyes were squinched up and while you were clenched up thinking, well, this is it, but you're the one, Lord. And then wham, your head's gone. Right then, Jesus was testifying that you are the greatest ever born. The greatest. Huh. I I wonder if this morning we're struggling still. I wonder how many of us in here aren't interested in that kind of greatness. Just be honest in your heart this morning. God, I'm I'm afraid of that kind of greatness. Lord, the truth is, I'm afraid to hand out an invitation to somebody I work with to come to church on Easter. This is a whole another level. Well, let me try to help you. You know why Jesus stopped in Isaiah 61.1. You know why Jesus stopped before He got to that the captives would be set free? Because John had already been set free. You see, you, if you are a son or a daughter of the God of the universe this morning, and you find yourself chained to a wall in a dungeon, can I just, can I just share a little news flash with you? You're already set free. You see, Jesus already knew what was accomplished. He already knew what was done. He was already 100% confident. He knows the beginning from the end. John has been set free. He doesn't have a problem in a dungeon. Listen, and for the last 2,000 years, where's John been? You think John's been worried about a dungeon? You think John's thinking about, oh man, I had a bad life. That dungeon was horrible. I, why did, you think John's thinking, God, I'm still hung up on the, on the Isaiah 61 one deal. Why'd you stop? Oh no. Oh no. No, no. Cause you know what John knows right now? He knows what I'm gonna know. He knows what you're gonna know. He knows that not only is he the one, but he is more than you can ever imagine. He knows that forever and ever and ever, there's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more sickness. There's not going to be any more problems. And listen, there's not words that I can give you to describe how excellent and awesome and amazing and mighty and powerful and wonderful heaven is. But I'm telling you this, he knows right now that God is better than any dungeon, any trial, any persecution, and any dinner plate full of locusts and washing it down with honey. God is a million times better. He's better. He's better. Because here's what the Bible says. No eye has seen nor ear has heard. It can't even enter into your heart. The things that God has prepared for those who love Him. No, you can't comprehend it. 
And in the moment you place your faith in Him, in the moment His blood redeems your soul, in that moment, He's the one. And if life deals you a deck of cards, a hand of cards that puts you in a position, He's still the one. It doesn't change anything. He's still the one. Because listen, you've been set free. So I'm just telling you, my heart aches this morning for Miss Lorette, but she's been set free. She's set free. My heart aches for, for people who, who suffer and who, who... For you, some of you have come in here this morning broken. And all I'm begging you to do is ask the right question. It's not, God, were you going to fix my problem? God, are you going to solve all this? God, are you going to... The question is, God, are you the one? That's all that matters. Are you the one? Now listen to me. If you leave here today and you're not sure He's the one, then all I'm asking you to do is when you start grabbing hold of what you think the one is, that on the way down that slide, when everything is just calamity around you, when everything you're hoping in is failing, when nothing seems to make sense, when there's no peace, there's no comfort, there's nothing. Just remember. Just remember. There's only one who can set you free. And we're celebrating the week when He split the veil, when He cracked open the gate that was holding people captive, the sin that was drowning us all, and He took it all away. All of it. Because He's the one. He is the one. And He's not some magic Santa Claus that's going to make your life easy. And if somebody tells you that they don't love you and they are a liar, the truth is, is that tomorrow I may be at your house. You may be at my house, but he's still the one. Real quick, and then I'm done. There's a response. And just like any question, there's always a right answer and a wrong answer. There's always a left and a right. There's always a fork in the road. Look at this fork in verse 29. The Bible says, When all the people heard this, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Let me just draw your attention to something real quick. What's the baptism of John? Repentance. John came with one message. He said, people, repent. Own your sin. He didn't say, listen, what you need is self-esteem. What you need is confidence. He He said, here's what you need. What we need, what you need, and what I need is to realize, maybe for the first time in your life, maybe for the first time in this very moment, that you... You're a sinner. And you can't solve your problem. You, there is no solution on earth for your problem and my problem. And may it not take, may it not take a dungeon to get you to finally ask the right question. Because you see, on the other side of that fork in the road,
is one of the most scary phrases in the entire Word of God. In verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers, the religious people, the well-to-do, the educated, the ones who have all the right behavior, just, just let this sit on your heart for a second. They rejected the will of God for themselves. They walked away. They joined all the people who were waving the palm branches and hollering Hosanna, who had the wrong expectations. Listen, if you're here this morning and you think Jesus came to make your life easy, you're wrong. Jesus came to bring Himself glory. He came to save sinners. He came to redeem the lost. He came to set the captives free for eternity. That's why He came. He came to set you free. So if you're saved this morning, maybe what you need to do is you need to be reminded that you're free. And here's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm, I'm challenging you to just, in, in a moment of silence, just, just you there, and you come in here this morning, and you, you are doubting, you are struggling, you are suffering. You, you're asking God, why, God, why, God, why? Will you just, in this moment, begin to ask God, God, are you the one? Are you the one? Remind me of, remind me of the things that you've done, Lord. Remind me of the things that you're doing around me, Lord. And God, fill my heart with the promise of what you're going to accomplish. And if you're apart from Him, is He the one? That's the only question that you need the answer to. Is He the one? Or do I need to go and look for another? Let's stand, bow our heads, and close our eyes. Father, we thank You, Lord, this morning for Your Word, God. Thank You, Lord, for how You're so truthful with us, God. Thank You, thank you that, Lord, no one, no one could, could study this passage of Scripture, Lord, and not be utterly confounded, Lord, by the truthfulness of Your Word. That, God, no one would make this up. That if man had thought this whole thing up, surely you would have been a superhero that came to just solve all our problems and make everything great. But God, you come and you tell us exactly why you've come. That Lord, it's, it's to redeem hopeless, lost, broken people. And to fill their life with a hope that can endure any dungeon. To fill them with faith that will overcome any hospital room. God, it'll overcome any funeral parlor. Father, it'll, it'll overcome any circumstance. God, any wayward child, Lord, any broken marriage. God, any horrible memories, Lord, you've come to bring life and life more abundantly. So, Father, will you do the work in this time that only you can do? Father, I pray for those in this room. 
God, that they would come to you this morning. They would come and receive you as Lord. Father, that they would be set free this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.